Welcome to the final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation, we are continuing our celebration of the Children's Book Council Awards with the winner of the Middle Grade Award, Shirley Ma. We're going to be talking about her winning book as well as her latest book. Now, the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, that these are unceded lands and that treaty has never been made with the First Nations of this country. Shirley Ma is a first-generation Chinese-Australian author of young adult and children's fiction. Today, she is joining us. Her her novel, uh, A Glass House of Stars, has won the Children's Book Council Award for Middle Grade Fiction, and she has a new book out, All Four Quarters of the Moon. So, please, join us. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. Two books to talk about. Join us as we discover Shirley Ma's incredible writing. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I can hear you now. I can hear you too. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, hi, Andrew. Nice to meet you. <laughs> hi, Shirley. Nice to meet you. <laughs> really looking forward to this chat. I will, like, you're, you're probably doing a bit of this now. So, we've been, I've been back and forth. We've been trying to set this up for a little bit now. And, of course, in the meantime, and I'm, I'm going to redo this again for the interview proper. In the meantime, you went and won a whole big award. So, the, the beginning, congratulations. <laughs> like, Thank hey. you so much. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, should we should we jump in? Okay, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. I tend to t- talk like in elliptical circles, so I'll try and keep things like brief and on point. No, go for your life. Um, can I check pronunciations? Um, yeah, of I, course you can. That's probably the best. Um, and I, I, do you know what I realised as as I was writing that in my notes to check. Because I've been reading the book and saying them in a certain way in my head, I'm like, oh, please don't revert to that. But your surname is pronounced Ma, yes? Yes. Terrific. Uh, your two main characters, um, the two sisters, are? So, uh, little one is Biju. Okay. And the older one is um, Paging, as in rhymes with Beijing. Okay, Paging. And can you say, can you say, because uh, I feel like you just said it with a harder J, but I've been saying in my head Biju, Biju. Is it, is oh, it a yeah, ju- people say bijou and that's fine as well. I, I don't really um, okay. pick on sort of like pronunciations. I think like uh, it's, a, it's okay because everyone's got their natural inflection in their voice. So. Terrific. Okay. Well, yeah, and I, hopefully I don't revert too much to, you know, the way I, I think I was saying Paging's name right in my head um, and uh, bijou is how, yep, I can do this. Um, amazing. You can do it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Shall we jump in? Let's jump in. It is with great pleasure that I'm going to be welcoming Shirley Ma to the show today. Shirley is a first-generation Chinese-Australian. She lives in Perth. She's an author of young adult and children's fiction, including YA novels, Fury, Pre-Loved. Uh, she's got a children's novel called A Glass House of Stars. More about that in just a sec. Her new novel we're going to be talking today is All Four Quarters of the Moon. Shirley, welcome. It's so great to have you here. Hello, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me on your show. 
Oh, look, I'm very excited, even more so. So, like, this is, we'll go, we're just going, like, super behind the scenes, stuff we don't normally talk about in the interview. Like, I've been trying to set this up for a few weeks now to chat about all four quarters of the moon. That's your that's your new book. Like, that's, that's what's dropped recently. And then in the interim, you went and won a Children's Book Council Award for your novel, A Glass House of Stars. So, we're getting sidetracked straight away. Congratulations. <laughs> that's That's a pretty big win. Thank you so much for that, Andrew. It's a been wow, like a what a journey. I um look, I, I mean, I'm I'm ready to talk all four quarters of the moon. Wasn't ready for this. Haven't read a glass house of stars. Can you start? Just tell us a little bit about this and and what the win means to you. Um, okay, so the glass house of stars. Uh, it's a semi autobiography. And it's based on my own childhood experiences of migration and coming to Australia as a seven-year-old and not being able to speak the language and not understanding the culture and just being thrown headfirst into total cultural shock. So I, I really wanted to write a book that chronicled my experiences. So I think people going through the same experience or even people just going through change and impermanence in any stage of their life could, could read it and find comfort and, and relate to that experience. And to win the award is absolutely amazing because um, I've always thought of myself as more of a reader, not so much an author because I thought, you know, I'm not sure how good your English is, Shirley. Like <laughs> you couldn't speak it when you first came to this country. So I was always kind of like very, um, you know, not that not backing myself as the winning horse in fact i was talking to like a group of like uh, my writer friends before the cbca even notables were announced and i was like never going to get a nod if i get a nod you know what guys i'm going to do a nudie run so (laughs) that's how like unconfident i was in myself at the very beginning um do writers normally make these sorts of bets? This is this has not been my experience, or is oh, it just probably do behind the scenes? It's, it's like just, stuff you don't normally hear about. I'm just giving you a taste of what happens. <laughs> it's obviously warmer in Perth than where I am at the moment. That's no, it sure. is freezing cold. <laughs> don't get that wrong. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. You're saving this till summer then. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, good, good, because this Sorry. is. A, this is a family show. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> Let's be happy. Okay. <laughs> in, um, in your bio, Shirley, you, mm. you're described as having a Western mind and an Eastern heart. Now, that is just an absolutely intriguing description. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that influences your writing? Um, I think um, coming from a very traditional Chinese family who still are very traditional, I feel I have to fulfil certain role and behave a certain way but at the same time living in Australia I you know I'm expected to integrate and behave a certain way that as well so I've I guess through my life's journey found sort of like a pocket in between that I'm comfortable with Mm. and I guess it's really hard to describe how like who who I who I am am I Chinese Australian? Am I Chinese? Am I Australian? Or am I just, you know, sort of like a a global citizen trying to find their way in the world and trying to make different aspects of the culture that I've been exposed to sort of work for me? Fantastic. You just recalled me. I don't know if you've got a copy of this yet, but 
Holden Shepard's new book, The Brink. I'm so excited to get my hands on a copy because I loved Invisible Boys, so I'm very excited to read The Brink. I'm reading The Brink at the moment and there is um, a character there um, who, um, admittedly, the character is um, Japanese background, but she has to confront Mm. one of the one of the the white boys on this um, school leavers trip that they're on mm-hmm. because he's picking on another another kid who um, ab- about how this kid's not really Italian because you know he was born in Australia and it's just that his grandma was Italian or something like that and she sort of she sort of fronts him and says so what I'm not Japanese then and he's like no no you I was born and it's kind of like about how we code would when you're talking about finding your place. Are you also looking at those ways that people are coding you and and sort of your background and the way you present yourself? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think depending on who's looking at me, I think they'll probably have like a different perception in their mind of how I'm supposed to act, who I'm supposed to be. And sort of like I guess we do that to everybody we see on a certain extent, don't we? Which is fascinating. It's like human human behaviour, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I've already done it in this interview. You're, I'm like, I'm looking at you as a writer and then I'm like, hang on, writers don't do nudie runs on bets about their work, do they? I mean, no, like, they don't. Like, <laughs> They're not going to. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, just just sh- shouting out to a fellow, fellow Western Australian, I, I bet Tim Winton does. Tim Winton probably does. Oh, Tim Winton being Tim Winton, he can do whatever he likes, <laughs> I think. He's, he's, he's earned his place. I'm thinking like <laughs> David Maloof and Hel- maybe maybe 80s Helen Garner, but um, yeah. <laughs> wow, this this got off track. Um, you've, got, you've got this new book um, and we're getting to that. I promise we're getting to that. But before we let go of your incredible win, A Glass House of Stars, I, I haven't got my copy yet. I haven't read it, but checking out the buzz, I couldn't help but notice some common themes working through both the stories of A Glass House of Stars and All Four Quarters of the Moon. Um, ideas around dislocation of finding a sense of place. You've, you've touched on this, I guess, already with this uh, these ideas of identity, but what do these themes mean to you? Because they're obviously something that is very important. It's something that I'm really passionate about exploring in my works because um, I feel I have a voice and that a lot of people I know have the same feelings and they've gone through the same processes and the same journeys. And I, I just want to see that represented in literature. So that's very important to me. And that's why I choose to do what I do. Amazing. Let's introduce the listeners to all four quarters of the moon. At home, Paging understood how everything worked. Her baba worked hard seven days a week. Her mama worked to raise the family and her ama worked at making delicious mooncakes. Paging and her little sister Biju worked at creating their little world and populating it with animals both real and fantastical, telling wondrous stories about the animals' lives. But now they've moved to Australia and things seem upside down to say the least. Baba now and it goes to work, much less he's wearing a polo shirt. Mama needs paging to translate and is not happy that she is not allowed to bring her daughter's lunch at school. And Ama seems confused and is always asking paging her name. Paging must be strong. She has to be honourable for her family, but that's not always easy when everything is so new. 
this is just such an incredible tale and at its heart are, well, I'm going to say the two sisters. The two sisters are just gorgeous. And I wanted to start with that dynamic between Paging and her little sister, Biju. Paging shines when she's thinking about and and looking after her sister. And this also seems like I, I got the feeling that that gave her sister a bit of space to explore and maybe even rebel in ways that Paging feels she can't. It's a lot for Paging as she shoulders all these expectations of the family. So can you tell me a little bit about that? The the family have migrated to Australia and Paging is carrying so much responsibility for her whole family. Uh, Yes, it's something that um, I wrote based on my own experiences because I'm the eldest daughter in my family and I have a cheeky little sister as well. So um, I wanted to capture that feeling of what it's like to be the eldest and having to shoulder a lot of the responsibility and having to do things that were very grown up for my age because I remember having to read like um, official documents for my parents and having to translate them because their English was very poor and having to speak to important people like teachers and the principal like on their behalf. So suddenly you're, you were a child, you had like a very small mm. worldview and then suddenly you're thrown into this like larger world which you never expected to take on very adult responsibilities. So I wanted to capture that story and at the same time also capture my sister's story because whereas I had to shoulder the responsibility, I guess, I could see that, you know, she was going to assimilate in a different way and grow up in a very different way because she, I guess, joined kindy at the same age as other kids who were also learning to sort of write at that age and read. So it was going to be a different journey for her. So I just wanted to compare the two and put them in a story and um, see if like anybody out there could, could relate to that and wanted to read that sort of story. It was wonderful. And I was really interested. I never like to presume too much identification between an author and their characters. And I'd, I'd wondered about whether Paging in any way represented you. And then on the very, I think it's like the final line in the, on the final page, you threw this curveball, and it's not a spoiler per se, um, but Biju very much is the storyteller or sees herself as the storyteller. And there's this wonderful in- little interaction about how she is going to p- portray Paging one day when she when she tells this story. And I thought, hang on, have I had it wrong all along? Is there a little bit of wish fulfillment for you in, in Biju as well? Uh, there is. And I just wanted um, something about the novel to be a bit modern and a bit meta mm. in that way. And also with all the retelling of the... Um, Chinese mythological stories. I didn't just want a dry retelling. I wanted something that was like a, like written in a way that was very modern and that could relate to me, which I thought that readers could also resonate as well, like being modern audiences. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what this incredible thing about the novel. You interlace these alternating chapters. It's Paging's life at the moment as she's moving through the the changes and the and the period of migration and then these moments of dialogue between Paging and Biju and they're sharing mythologies but they're also building these stories of their own little world and it felt to me like these these cultural ties that they were kind of adapting in their own telling 
they work to support the girls, but it also gave them space to explore and invent. Is that like what does that mean to have both um, a tie, but also space to to work with it? Um, I think it's important for children. And this was my own experience as well, because um, the little world that the two girls create, that's actually uh, based on a real thing that me and my sister used to do. We used to like cut out little animals and put them into little worlds that we would hand draw. And it was just a way for us to sort of um, have a dialogue and talk about like how our day was, how Mm. school was without having to talk face to face because that was a bit confronting and a little bit hard. So we would sort of like get the animals and we would line them up and make them into like classes and just do a bit of role play. And that's how we communicated to each other. And it was sort of like a gentle sort of secret, secret language sort of thing that we did as like two sisters, which um, when I recall back as an adult, I found that just, it was a very beautiful bonding time because obviously we were like both, tossed into like a completely new environment and to cope I think that's what we did we made like a little secret world that was safe and that you could have a dialogue within it and feel safe to talk to each other that that sense of safety it sounds wonderful and I I wanted to keep I wanted to pick up on that here because as you describe the transition and I think I think many readers would see this as you know if they're if it's not their personal experience, because of course you mentioned before reaching out to to readers who have similar experiences, but also for people um, who you know were born and grew up in Australia, but have have friends or you know maybe grew up to be adults and realised that they were um, that they were the bullies or they were the less than understanding people. You show how Paging's and the family's transition to life in Australia is not smooth. They face racisms both large and small, and. Seemingly at their worst, these are acts that are quite ignorant. Um, language in particular is an area that Paging worries about. She f- she worries she will forget how to speak Chinese if she only speaks English every day. And it was really hard to watch as you show us that the things that are most personal, the things that connect Paging to her old home, are also the things that are going to be targeted. How did you mm. want to deal with this very real and, and kind of closed-minded attitude, the idea that, you know, we want, you know, th- these attitudes want to take away these these ties, these familiarities, these comforts um, that Paging and Biju feel. Um, I like to think that no matter where you go, you're always going to find bad people that just don't want to accept change, scared of outsiders, and they're going to be negative about that. Because I, I remember coming to Australia and meeting a lot of really open and kind-hearted people at the same time. Like the school that we were both put into was amazing. It had a very strong progressive principle and it was one of the first schools that started to have um, English as a second language, like a dedicated class for children struggling with English who were migrants. So I I found a lot of support. There was a lot of um, terrible behaviour as well because it was the 80s. But I found there was a lot of hope as well and I wanted to portray both of those things and I hope they do come across Mm. in the novel as just aspects of just very human behaviour, like both the fear and also the encouragement as well. 
and that you do get both sometimes at the same time. Oh, and I absolutely, and I don't want to, don't want to, Im- <laughs> this is in no way a didactic novel, of course, but what really struck me is, is the subtlety that you portray, I guess, what, what I've called these ignorant behaviours, because I feel like we're, we've sort of moved um, culturally to this idea that we can reject racism, but we still see racism as these big acts that are performed by people who are, in scare quotes, racist, and we we're still dealing with, I guess the term we use is microaggressions, things mm. where, you know, very small things. Like I think in, at one stage in the book, doesn't a teacher sort of say, oh, we no, we speak English here when one of the girls is is speaking um, Chinese. I, I actually do not know whether they speak Mandarin or Cantonese, sorry. But um, they're, they're called out for not speaking English. And that, that sort of thing feels like it was well-intentioned by the teacher, but, of course, also it's very difficult for the girls. And developing that more subtle understanding of how this impacts, say, two children who have only recently arrived and had their whole worlds ripped out from under them. Yeah. um, It's interesting that you brought up that particular scene in the story because I remember one of the very first things that happened to me and my sister when we first came here, um, we were just at the mall shopping with my parents and um, me and my sister were just having a very quiet conversation between us, like in Chinese, because at that stage our English wasn't very good. And I just remember like a complete stranger and like you said, they might be coming from a place of good intention, Mm -hmm. coming up to us and going, oh, we speak English here, as if like we didn't quite understand that was like the local custom, and um, which guess that's well-meaning and if I was an adult I would have said you know thank you but as two children I just found that very frightening and from then on when me and my sister were out in public we just did not talk we just decided until we learned English we just weren't going to talk because we were told that that's not the custom here and um I think for children everything is just so much more magnified because your world's like so small and I remember that having like the biggest impact on me because in a way I kind of lost my voice after that Mm. and until I learned to speak you know English I didn't quite get my voice back and see that like what you describe there is just this incredibly radiating out impact of what that person probably thought of was a small and maybe even helpful behaviour. I mean, I, I, f- I feel like if anyone's listening and is feeling that urge to tell someone what language we speak here, remember also, don't be a creeper and like say, hey, I really need to eavesdrop on what two little girls are saying, so can you please make that easier for me? <laughs> just- I think this was, I like to put this as part of the 80s and maybe that was kind of more like a, an eighties so. thing because we mm. weren't quite as multicultural back then. Yeah, and of course, like we're talking now about this huge change that Paging and Bijou are experiencing. They've changed schools. They've they've lost friends. They can stay in touch, of course. You know, they can write letters, but again, it's not the same as your friends every day. They're adapting to this new language, this new culture. And I think I sometimes like I know I forget what it was what it's like to be a child. You have you have gone through two two books, two narratives, reminding yourself. But changing schools, like never mind changing countries, it's not like changing a job as an adult. Your whole world is ripped out from under you. Do you think we give enough credit to children's adaptability and and also the support that they need through these experiences? Um, I think 
as adults, I think we have this sort of thing where we we always say like, you know, kids are good at bouncing back. They're young, they're young, they'll forget, they'll adapt. But oh, I think maybe as adults, um, we forget what it's like to be children or maybe we just look back with rose-coloured glasses and just forget about how difficult it can be to be a child and it's not just all like, you know, playtime and doing nothing. Mm. That um, children's worlds are very small and that small things like, you know, not having any friends or having the wrong clothes or not being invited to parties is a big thing and that children do need support as well going through change. They're not just going to automatically because they're young and they can adapt do so necessarily. Mm. And and it also depends, I guess, on, you know, the, the personality and just the, the type of child we're dealing with. Mm. But I, I do believe children need a lot more support than we think they do. And that sometimes it's important to listen to little voices. And I guess that's why I'm a children's author because I feel like I, I have a voice. I can, I can speak for somebody and maybe I can get that message and that voice right. Mm. I love what you said just there. And I feel like perhaps, perhaps also, Shirley, you're a cautionary tale. Children may forget. They may bounce back or they may just bring it all out and become award-winning children's writers through their experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I, I encourage anybody with a story inside of them mm. to write, you know, to give to give another, another voice out there because that's what we need because mm. I'm, I'm very big on, like, diverse voices and own voices and anybody with their own, you know, story to tell, I think that's really important because you could make a connection with somebody out there and that could mean all the world for one person. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think I've had people come up to me and, and – tell me how much their book means to them. So it, it, it is important. It really is. Yeah. And one thing I do remember from being a child is that you have so much more space to read. So, you know, for all the adults out there that think, oh, I barely get through three or four books a year. It's like, no, children, when they set their mind to it, can read hundreds of books. So we need these stories for hungry mm-hmm. little minds. <laughs> Exactly. And for them to have like a range of stories to choose from, from different backgrounds and different diverse people. That's very important. Yeah. I um, I focused in a little bit there on some of the struggles that Paging faces in her new school. Um, I now want to, I just want to acknowledge now just the friendship that she forms with Joanna is just wonderful. It's just a, just a joy. Um, and together they help each other feel more of their strengths and less of, I guess, what the world wants to see as their shortcomings. It felt like Paging had found herself an ally. Were you showing there, were you trying to show there the kids that they don't need to go it alone, that, you know, they can build each other up? Yeah, I wanted to do something sweet and show that um, how two, two kids from completely different backgrounds like they might not have a lot in common or feel they have a lot in common. And when they talk, they don't quite understand what the other person's necessarily talking about because of their cultural differences. But that if, you know, two kids can come together and beyond the um, lost in translation stuff, that if they just try and communicate that friendships can be found and similarities can also be found and bonds can be made. So even at a very small level, I wanted to show that sort of sense of optimism that um, 
it is, it is possible to overcome cultural gaps and just, you know, find commonalities there. Yeah, and, yeah. And just having that sense of, of curiosity, it's it's really interesting. Like, um, you know, Joanna seemed to be the only person who was just like, here, here is this wonderful new person. I'm curious. I want to know. And for Paging, I think Paging was very curious. She wanted to, to make new friends, but she really needed someone to show her that was okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And the other thing I, I liked about Joanna and the reason I put her in there is because Joanna's like a, a true blue, died in the wool Aussie girl, but yet she's rejected by the people around her. So in a way, she's also an outsider when she should be an insider. Mm. And like I, I just wanted to show that the world can reject you based on all sorts of things, not just necessarily culture, but just because of like who you are and who your parents are and what you have and what you don't have, like, Humans are like that. So I really wanted to show that aspect as well. Yeah, I, I, I love that about the their whole journey because it allows them both to open up. It allows them both to discover things in themselves. And really, I mean, that's that's what being kids should be about. You know, you're, you're told that you're going to grow up into this big world, but you don't quite know how. You have to discover those things in yourselves. And again, like... We can't tell tell the re- listeners how that happens, but you know they should go out and discover exactly what paging and well, I'm actually going to get that to get to that in my next question. Maybe I'll just read my next question to you, Shirley, <laughs> because as as paging is is trying to navigate her new world, she finds herself she's getting angry at her mum for not going out more. But this is also you know she wants her mum to go out to almost pave the way, I guess, and and make paging feel like she isn't going it alone. And this contrasts with the feelings Paging has of responsibility to respect, to honour her family. I felt like this tension was really highlighted in Paging's artistic ambitions. We've talked about how she and Biju draw their little world, um, but that's very personal. And she's now got this opportunity to explore through school artistic endeavours. She doesn't think her mum's going to approve of them, though. So no spoilers, of course, about how this narrative plays out. But could you talk a little, little bit about exploring Paging's personal journey of discovering these talents and these these artistic opportunities? Oh yes. So in the book, um, Paging considers herself like a, a drawer. She wants to be an artist when she grows up. She wants to be an artist, but at the same time, she knows that as a uh, the first generation migrant child she has other responsibilities on her shoulder and I think that's so that's one facet I think of the the Asian immigrant experience like um I guess the motivation for a lot of families like my my Chinese family the motivation was to you come to a new world it's an opportunity for your children to get an education and become like a lawyer a doctor, well, like me, an accountant, so that, like, within one generation, you can actually better the fortune of your family. So you can, you know, suddenly go from being lower, like, um, lower working class to suddenly, like, middle class. And, like, within one generation, you can turn your fortunes around. And there's that expectation, that parental expectation, which I'm very familiar with, but that also, that goes against 
what you personally have in your heart and what you want to do. So for paging, she just wants to be, she wants to be an artist, but she knows that her parents are never going to approve of that because she's never going to make any money. And as a mom points out to her, there's a reason why artists are called starving artists. It's because they don't have any money. <laughs> so that's not a career path suitable for her. So I just wanted to highlight that tension and how she, how my main character like comes to terms with that and how she feels that she can move forward and honour her family while honouring her own wishes as well and her own like desires and, and loves and dreams. Mm. It's really lovely. I'm just going to let people know they should go out and read exactly how that happens because like most sort of, I guess, wonderful realizations it comes with uh, you know a bit of pain and a bit of angst for paging so it's really nice to see it play out and it's really it's really lovely you've talked at the beginning of the interview um the way that identification exists within the novel and for you i did not realize you were an accountant shirley but for you to now i, I still have a day job, <laughs> day job. <laughs> i think you'll find this is also some more behind the scenes <laughs> stuff malarkey that a lot of uh, authors do hold mm. Day jobs. We all got day, we all got, we all got day jobs. But um, and it's so wonderful to to talk about that aspect of it and to be talking after you have won a children's book council award. So I'm just going to let everybody know I am speaking with Shirley Ma. We are discussing all four quarters of the moon right now, but we are also celebrating Shirley's incredible win for a glass house of stars in the children's book council award. Go and check these books out. Shirley, thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It's been a blast. (laughs) It has been a lot of fun. Thank you. That's it for this great conversation with Shirley Ma. Shirley's new book is All Four Quarters of the Moon. It's out now from Penguin. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Do stay in touch with us. You can find Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. And if you subscribe in your podcast app, we have got a new podcast host in Megaphone. Shout out to Megaphone. Thank you for having us. But you can find us in all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe and you will have a new Final Draft every week. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from incredible Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.